general offered no apologies. He said the soldiers erred in judgment. They should have hired a hooker. No apologies to the outraged Japanese. No sorry little girl. Pigs just took her. Tire skids and teeth marks. What happened to this place? Lawyers and loan sharks are being America to waste. Freddie said that. One thinks I think he's the devil. What a lofty title for such a petty little tyrant. Bigger beasts abound. They kick this world around at this crazy speed with violence and greed. Skids and teeth marks. What happened to this place? Liars and loan sharks are laying America to waste. So what makes a man? Tough times. As drug lords buy up the banks and warlords radiate the oceans, ecosystems fail. Snakes and snails and puppy tails are wagging in the wind beneath the trampled. Unbelievable, and yet most Canadians today—I know there's an election coming up on October 10th in, in Ontario—are uh, are threatened with budget cuts and bribed with false promises. And in a country, uh, Mr. Watt, of of only 30 million people, the population of Mexico City, uh, that's that has the second largest land mass in the world, it seems to me that we should never be short of anything. Oh, there's there's no reason for. It. I've got old school books here that were given to children uh, about the age of seven or eight in Canada. And some of them are on the, the oil in Canada. And they show you, from 19, 18, 19, 20, they show you all uh, hundreds of uncapped uh, or, or capped wells across Ontario alone that had never been used, just capped for future use. None of them have been opened up yet. And yet gas is rising. Can you, can you quickly uh, debunk peak oil just so that, that we can get that one out of the way? Uh, well, it, it, it's absolute rot. I mean, all they've told us about oil is, is so much rot, to be honest. Uh, all the stuff about the dinosaurs made the oil, and yet you look at the charts from British Petroleum and Esso and all the big companies from, again, the early 1920s on to the 1950s, 
and they show you what they call the oil tree and how oil really is made by rotting vegetation, uh, collecting annually and going down and down and down. Um, it's a continuing process, but I do know, because I used to travel across the North Sea often, because I used to play all across Europe and Scandinavia, and uh, I talked to many of the guys who were drilling uh, in oil rigs across the North Sea, and at that time, the head of British Petroleum told me uh, that uh, they'd found so much oil at that time already, and I thought the vast years to explore to supply the entire world for the next 150 years just from that one find. Unbelievable. Yeah, it strikes me, Mr. Alan Watt, at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, that they wouldn't gamble on oil uh, being one of their main control mechanisms if they didn't have a lot. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, and they already, again, are so far ahead of all the, uh, the oil. We know that during World War II, the whole Nazi war machine, which is run and owned really by IG Farben, an umbrella company, again owned by Rockefellers, uh, Rothschilds, and other, and even Baxter Labs of Canada were in on IG Farben. But they were making synthetic oil, and they also had other oil they extracted from coal. And we have vast amounts of coal here. They were also making the, the tires for their vehicles from, from the same substance. And that, the patents for that after World War II were, 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 were bought over by, again, the Rockefellers. Unbelievable. And, and you're working exceptionally hard on exposing these for what reason, Mr. Watt? And I only say that because, um, to, to me, it seems like the elite get power by keeping secrets and we the people get power by exposing them as opposed to playing in their reality and simply begging the government for uh, table scraps. So uh, wh what is the, I mean, when they when they run these massive frauds on us, you know, uh, taxing us for exhaling CO2, yeah. um, is, that, is that to convince people on the inside, look, we got the sheeple, keep sticking with the system? I, I think uh, the, why I do this personally is because I, I grew up in a nation that had centuries and centuries of wars for something called the British Empire. And I was brought up in a, a one-roomed apartment that had been condemned and closed a hundred years before, which they'd opened up after World War II, uh, because they'd, they'd failed to, to give the public what they'd promised during World War One and Two, and that was public housing. For, uh, most folk in Britain, remember, did not have property. Uh, it was a remnant of the old feudal system. Most people were basically peasants who who who, who rented. And I and I thought, after hundreds and hundreds of centuries of looting and plundering across the planet, how is it only about two hundred odd families or three hundred families in London own anything? And that's when I went to my research, and I looked at all the, the people working really hard in the mines and all the rest of it. Uh, and yet I, I knew the economy was fixed. You could go from north to south of Britain, and you get the same starting wages as an apprentice for any job, the same starting wages for any uh, trade or a miner or whatever, and, and, and ultimately you got an ultimate full pay, which would never really increase. And I really realized we're under a, a wages and, and price fix at that time. And I realized, my God, look, look at the incredible control when they can actually uh, stop all free competition. If there was free competition of any kind, you would have a variety of starting wages and top wages for the same jobs. So uh, I realized that it was not meant for people to get... Um, extra money that they could save up and use. When I was young, everybody argued, every couple argued, your parents argued, their, their friends argued about paying the rent, having enough to pay the rent. They didn't have credit cards. They didn't have the illusion of having lots because there was no credit cards allowed unless you had property. And, um, and so I'm, what I'm doing this for is for all those that have gone before me, never knowing the scams that were going on, the present bunch are going through it, and mainly for the young ones up and coming who are going to get the worst of it as they go through the worst changes yet to come. Because these characters at the top mean what they say. They mean they're going to, that they want to reduce the population. They, they want to indoctrinate the youth into wanting uh, body chips for ID purposes, uh, right down to even a brain chip ultimately. That was discussed at Loyola University meeting for the last two or three years, the World Science Meetings. They have a brain chip that they want to implant in people, and they said the only problem they have now is to convince the public to accept it. 
And so they're going to promote it as giving you, it being better than drugs, it will stimulate your brain to secrete certain um, uh, chemicals which will make you feel better and so on. And, and of course, they're selling it through movies to the youngsters because all the superheroes have brain chips now. They really want this to be, uh, to be accomplished and to allow this horror to go on, including what I mean by horror, I mean um, they have been attacking us physically. Um, they, people today are getting arthritis in their 20s and even adolescent arthritis. This is side, uh, these are side effects from inoculations. The, the, the uh, autism used to be incredibly rare and started very early on. Now it doesn't start to the age of two when they have their, their measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines given to them, and then they come down with autism. And it's skyrocketed. The graphs are there from the medical associations themselves, in fact. And you'll see that the, the spike going up in, in line with the amount of inoculations being given out. We're, we're, we're act, they're actually doing what Charles Galton Darwin proposed that they do, and that was to knock out in the West and this, they had global meetings on this. Remember, the, world, the United Nations and the World Health Organization, the Doctor Who, as I like to call it, um, has a department of population control. And I say to people, what do you think population control means? They don't employ thousands of experts and doctors to sit on their hands and make a wish list. They're actually doing it. And Galton, Darwin, and others proposed that they inject certain things into the people of the West which would make them ineligible for marriage partners because they'd be sickly and weak, and they would also sterilize them. Well, look at the sperm count of the average Western male. Since 1950, it's now down by 75%. So the Western male is 75% sterile today. That doesn't happen in nature suddenly, and the United Nations gives out these statistics every year, doesn't make a comment on it, now, if, they were, if, if this is happening by itself, by some weird uh, uh, thing happening, um, they would call it a crisis. But they don't. They just give us the, the statistics and leave it at that. There's no comment on it. That tells you that they're actually doing what they said to do. Now, Africa, they said they would take down quickly because the Africans, on the whole, would not adapt to the Western economic system, and therefore they'd have no place in it. And the, the, the top economists for the British Crown and the, the Crown Corporations of Britain in the 1800s, John Stuart Mill, and then his son that took over as a top economist, both said the same thing in their own writings. They would eventually eliminate most of uh, the Africans quickly, and they would bring down the population of the American Indians because they, were, they would also be unable to adapt to this economic system, and no one would come through that was not able to adapt and have a purpose within this economic system. Now, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, when you say they're unable to adapt, is this racism, or is there some other sort of cultural, uh, sort of, um, I guess, practices that would make it incompatible with accepting the, the capitalist democracy? I think it's basically the cultural difference. They have a totally different culture in some of these countries. H.G. Wells, you'll find, also printed this in his non-fictional work uh, called A History of the World. It's in two volumes, part one and two. He put out the, the list long before Adolf Hitler of the races that would come through uh, because it would be uh, essential to it. They'd work towards the, or for the system. But he'd put down the blacks, the, the, the American Indians, um, who, couldn't, who, who just wouldn't go along with the concept of working for this thing called money, which they hadn't needed up until now. Uh, they could live very well, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, it was an alien thought for them to buy and sell land, for instance. They, they couldn't comprehend this strange idea and uh, they, they would therefore they would be unable to adapt to an 85 or an 88 even uh, work system and Jordan Stuart Mill had published that in the 1800s and his son published a book after that on the same theme and they were the top economists for the British corporations at the time and economics is a fraud oh yeah I can remember a man alive program in Britain uh, it was very good, and, and they were talking to top ex-professors of economics who one by one came out and said uh, that it was utter, utter nonsense. You're better with a Ouija board or rolling dice because it was a total fraud. Yeah.
Unbelievable. Are, are there any countries, uh, Mr. Watt, that are outside of this system? I know that uh, uh, in the circles that I sort of look at and travel in, there's theories that Russia might be outside it, that Iran might be outside it, uh, North Korea. Are there any countries you see that are not uh, part of the, uh, I guess, as uh, Brzezinski said, the grand chessboard? Uh, the, the countries that he mentions in that book, in fact, are the ones that were outside of it. That's why he said they'd eventually have wars with them. And the New American Century, the project for a New American Century, the club of Wolfowitz, Pearl, Cheney, Rumsfeld, and the Bushes, and all the rest of them, belonged to before they got into uh, this present regime. Uh, they published in the 1990s that they'd have to go to war, first with Afghanistan, uh, then Iraq, then uh, Iran, then Syria, in that order. And sure enough, the same bunch now got into politics, and they started off the ball rolling in 2001 uh, on that very same agenda. Brzezinski came out with his grand chessboard about the same time, with the same countries all lined up. Uh, so the Middle Eastern countries, the Muslim countries, uh, uh, remember, don't use usury. They don't have central banking systems. They don't borrow from the world bankers. Uh, they're outside of it. Now, Yugoslavia and Bosnia was the same way. They, were, they did not go along with the World Bank. They didn't join it until the UN bombed them out of existence. And now it's, t- it's a turn for the Middle East to be standardized as well. What they're creating is standardization across the whole world. Unbelievable, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That's all the, the macro stuff. Uh, if you wouldn't mind a word to the micro for the uh, the youth out there especially, uh, I'm noticing all the boys are being trained to shoot uh, mindlessly oh, like yeah. good little soldiers uh, lining up at midnight for Halo 3 at Best Buy. And uh, all the girls, uh, the magazines are saying, make your hair shiny, make your ass tiny. And uh, I'll be damned if it's working. Uh, it's been a great summer in Toronto for uh, for checking out girls. But I'm afraid that the lack of other motivation towards uh, learning about the world and our environment may catch up with uh, all of us in a minute. So can you speak to how they've been uh, historically socialized and and sort of what you see currently uh, as as the attacks on them? Well, again, going back into techniques of warfare preparation, now we're dealing with people who plan in centuries, and that's the hard thing for most folk to come to grips with. We... We like to think of starting a project and seeing it finished in our lifetime. We forget the big foundations uh, and governments. The d- diplomatic service, for instance, uh, work in centuries towards particular goals. But for creating war, uh, they said a long time ago they would bring in technologies. By that, they meant video games, which would uh, basically, um, which were designed for the military only. Uh, the average person, even in the military, when they join, they're unable to kill right off the bat. And so they have to be desensitized to it through special programs uh, so they'll kill quickly without thinking. And they came out with the video games about 30-odd years ago, and they had huge machines at those times uh, to train uh, military personnel. The, the, the governments and the Pentagon also put money towards uh, making, making miniature forms of the same technologies to aim at the youth. And believe you me that nothing happens in culture unless the big boys allow it to happen or want it to happen. Uh, And therefore, this was promoted from the top. The whole video game scenario was promoted, heavily funded and promoted from the top down. They wanted to raise a generation uh, starting about 20 years ago because they knew that in 2001, that's when they'd start their project for a new American century and they wanted a generation who would be hooked on games and see killing just like a game. Uh, and they also started to, to withdraw forms of individual thinking from the schools in a big way. I think the books by Gatto on exposing the educational system are excellent, well-documented, too, on how they would regiment the school systems into groupthink and discourage individualistic thinking. That's happened. So here you have people who are already trained to be parts of the group, the first thing you're taught in the military is you belong, uh, you're special, you belong here, you're one of us. So you're already conditioned to that group mentality and obeying orders from the group leader. And you're, you're desensitized um, also by even the music they've been promoting for, for years now. You're desensitized. You're almost turned into, uh, I hate to say it, but a form of barbarian. Uh, I can remember seeing the troops on the, the decks of the aircraft cars as they were going towards the Gulf, and they all had their shirts off, and they, were, and they were doing rap dancing on the deck. And I thought, my God, we're sending barbarians in to one of the oldest civilizations on the planet. 
Unbelievable, yeah. And, and Gandhi asked, uh, you know, what, when, when asked, "What do you think of Western civilization?" He replied, "It would be a good idea." Uh, but I heard, I heard something you said about that. What I, I just like to clarify right now, before we get back to this, was he or was he not a free agent working for the Indian people? I don't think so, because an old technique in, in the British diplomatic corps, uh, and you'll find this even in, in movies that were put out. A few movies that were put out, uh, one by Marlon Brando. Uh, called Burn. I showed you how the diplomatic corps worked on countries and long-term goals by giving heroes to the public for them to follow, often by using someone who's well-known, making him fall from grace because he's chosen the side of the people or whatever, imprison him. That always gets the public to think he's one of us, and then releasing him, he becomes the leader. And, and Gandhi himself, initially, when he was locked up by the British police or, or military, uh, it's always his wife, and they both came down with pneumonia while in the cells. Uh, Gandhi um, eventually caved in uh, and, and disobeyed his Hindu laws and, and said, okay, I'll accept the antibiotics. I want to live. But he forbade his wife to take antibiotics to, to save her life. Uh, that shows you something about the man right there. Um, and he, he did other things too. He'd always sleep with an 18-year-old virgin every night to prove that he, that he wasn't tempted. <laughs> But uh, Britain, remember, had tried to unify India that was not a, a, a huge country. Uh, what I mean, it wasn't a unified country at that time. And they tried for, for decades to get one tribe fighting another towards unification because out of war conflict, you have synthesis, and then you, you start off the next role with the next bunch you aren't in until you, you, you own the whole country. They knew this would take a long, long time to do, so they had to give a hero to the public to, to do it. And so Gandhi helped to almost unify the country and save them decades of work. Unbelievable, uh, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. It seems to me that, that all of our heroes, I mean, there's a Gideon Bible in every hotel room in the world. Yeah. Uh, the New World Order wouldn't uh, put them there if, <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't allow that to happen if they didn't want it to happen. Um, but, but, you know, is there a way to identify with the values of some of these people, say the icon of peace of the 20th century who we look to? I mean, people say to me right now, oh, where's the new Gandhi? We need a new Gandhi. And it's like yeah. to, to, to find, though, that everybody we've heard of uh, as, has basically been part of a lie yeah. um, is one thing. But also, in, in my opinion, maybe you can speak on this with your experience, um, it is the values that they need to sell us. Uh, that I think we can relate to. So, for instance, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, turn the other cheek, forgive the whores, beat the money lenders, done. Uh, I think we can use all those things. Yeah. And uh, today we have heroes like Dexter, the blood splatter expert who also kills people, and they mm -hmm. say, good or evil, you decide. Yeah. So they're destroying our values right now so that we, we can't even use those to pick our heroes, but we in the past we could. So is there a way to sort of recognize, regardless of how they were used, the values that we related to that made us like them and made us humans? Yeah, well, the, 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 when again, uh, guys like H.G. Wells were, were trained initially by Thomas Huxley, uh, and a whole bunch of revolutionaries actually were trained by Huxley, um, they said that the first thing they had to do was encourage free love. Now, this is in the 1800s, not in the 1960s. They said that to promote free love, because the earlier they could start children um, ha having uh, sex, uh, the less likely they would be to bond with anyone down the road. And they, they tried this in the 1920s to, when they brought in the, the booze can houses after creating prohibition uh, and made them a very exciting places to go for the young, uh, quite naturally so. And they brought in the miniskirt with the child and dance and all that. They brought in cocaine as well. The Bronfins in Canada ran the whole booze industry and the, co the cocaine industry down into the U.S. And, uh, but even at that... They, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't have the pill, the birth control pill. They didn't have antibiotics for venereal diseases. And so there was too much of a fallout. They couldn't swing it off. So they, they, they put so much money after that to work with science to find a way of birth control and penicillins, etc., that came out of it. And then introduced the same thing, miniskirts, music, cocaine, drugs, in the 1960s to try and start the whole thing off again. And they knew at the time that, that uh, what's the best way of reducing the population? Well, you get the people to start reducing it themselves through abortion. Without the vast promiscuity, you wouldn't have that, that the, the side effects or the outcome of it, you see. Create the problem, give the solution. That's the oldest technique in the book. And, and this, this, is, this particular topic 
is explained by Lord Bertrand Russell, as I say, a key member and player in all of this kind of stuff, in his book, The Impact of Science on Society. He said eventually women will think that they won their rights by themselves. They'll never guess that they were given to them by us. He said they will think they're free, but in, in fact they've simply uh, joined the men in their form of slavery. Amazing. Uh, Mr. Alan Watt at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Uh, I'd like to get to him. We discussed men being turned into savage soldiers and, and heading off to the Middle East to destroy a culture they really don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, but women, I've got a soft spot for women. I can see how they've been socialized. I can see that they're told to look for balance and, and, yep. and never achieve it because it's impossible. I mean, you just mm-hmm. guys just do stuff, yep. whereas women are given all sorts of problems and, and little uh, tricks of the trade to fool them into thinking they're inadequate and, uh, and failing at life as opposed yeah. to just doing life and, and maybe taking a chance to enjoy it so the specifics attacks on uh, the specific attacks on women that you've seen yeah. historically from the Nazi era or before that to today yeah well again too uh, World War II for instance uh, they knew that World War II was coming the Royal Institute for International Affairs wrote about coming I have the minutes of their meetings from the books that they published for their members at the time and they said that, that when the men are gone we shall promote the women into the factories to get them in full-time employment. This ties in again with the next million years by, by uh, uh, Charles Galton um, Darwin, Charles Darwin or Galton Darwin, uh, where he said uh, that if they can get women in, in the workplace competing with men uh, and giving them good salaries, he says, then that they're less likely to get married and have children. They'd rather have a car or, or, or own something. So by using physical materialistic incentives, they hoped that they'd separate male and female, uh, so they're both running after the material goods they could purchase. And he said, well, she'll also create an egocentric society, a society who's taught they're supposed to be happy all the time, and that will aim 90% of all our advertising at the female population. And that's why if you look in any store with the magazines, 90-odd percent of the magazines are aimed at women. You open any of them up, they'll tell you, it's all by experts. This is how, what kind of sex you're supposed to have. This is what kind of lifestyle you're supposed to have. This is what kind of house you're supposed to be able to afford. It's all, it's all telling them how they're supposed to be. They're not allowed to be themselves. They're constantly being told they're supposed to be something else, something different, something better. They're unattainable. Meanwhile, their instincts still are at work. Everyone wants bonding. They want to feel they belong somewhere with someone. And yet the whole of society, the movies you watch, the soap operas on television, all that stuff is to make you dissatisfied with any partner you could possibly meet. Same with the men. The men are constantly looking at these young babes you see all the time. Look at any, any series on television, which is primarily to do with hospitals, because that's a big control factor in the health industry, uh, cops, uh, detectives, and law courts. Um, uh, that's another part of the control factor, you see. And, and the actors they're picking are, are about 20, 21, 22, playing the parts of, of professional hardened detectives or, 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 or uh, specialist doctors, which is impossible in real life. So we're also lo- always looking for youth, youth, youth. And at the other end of the spectrum, they, they said that they would separate the generations. So the elderly, the ones that used to have wisdom to pass on to their grandchildren, are out of the picture altogether. Uh, they've, they've successfully separated the genders and the generations as well uh, from each other. Well, absolutely, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I mean, this is uh, endemic in the society I see living here in uh, Toronto, a very cosmopolitan city. And I've talked to guys about this, and women, frankly, and uh, when, with their lack of interest in sort of, I guess, in quotes, getting political, which is almost a dirty word today, uh, or, or understanding what's going on, uh, guys are are not prepared to screw it up. I mean, they want to get laid, so yep. you're not going to say anything that's going to upset them, so you're not going to talk about anything heavy. You're going to keep it light and fluffy and give them a break from the daily drudgery they go mm-hmm. through. And and, uh, and and yet, is there a way to see getting political, in quotes, that dirty word that girls, I mean, absolutely shut down. Guys sometimes will still give you a fight, run for your money with whatever crappy history or media they consume. Um, but is there a way to, to use getting political or learning what's happening or being aware of the growing fascism and fighting it as a way of self-help that beats the failing self-help that's out there? Absolutely. The, the, the stuff that's already set out for the public is a red herring or, or it'll bring you back into the fold 
in a, from a different direction. Uh, the whole idea is to get you back in the system, thinking the way of the system. And I always think of psychiatry, which is a big tool in this whole thing. Uh, if you go through the history of psychiatry, it was involved in eugenics from the, the beginning. They truly believed if they could destroy those who were the carriers of recessive genes, they would destroy all what they called mental illness. Now, remember, mental illness at, at times, like during the fascist era, uh, if, if you were anything but a fascist, that was, you were called mentally ill. During the Soviet era, they had uh, uh, psychiatric disorders for dissenters, just for dissenting. So we have to be very careful with these industries. And um, we've got to remember that, that uh, these are the industries now that are in control of the marketing companies that use psychology, psychiatry, to put opinions and ideas right across into your mind in the, in the absolute knowledge that you will eventually emulate what you see. We mimic what we see on television. We mimic what we see in movies. And that's, again, going all the way back to Plato, who understands who stood the, the culture creation industry in his day 2,300-odd years ago. Plato and the Republic went through the, the necessities, how to, how to control whole populations by upgrading their culture. He said, culture it never comes from the grassroots. If it did, he said that we, the elite aristocracy, would lose control. Therefore, whatever culture is given to the public is authorized and given to the lower orders by us. And he says we use the fashion. He called it industry, by the way. <laughs> the fashion industry, and he said the music industry and the drama industry, he said, because um, the young will emulate what they see on stage. They will sing the songs that they hear on stage, and they will start to dress in the fashions they see on stage. Everything in culture, unfortunately, is given to us. That's, that's the sad truth. So we have to decide what is innate to human nature. And if we go into human nature, you'll find uh, that um, belonging, certainly, we are gregarious types of beings. We come from ancient tribal societies. So we do need some form of interpersonal relationships. But we also have this need to bond to perpetuate the species as well. And, and hopefully to pick your partner to do it with um, that was, that's an innate need in people. And so we have women and men today who are being brainwashed and constantly bombarded with, with uh, opposing information, uh, telling them to just be a stud if you're a guy and just go around from one to the other. And a lot of the women are trying to emulate that too. But deep within themselves, you, you can't break an instinct through propaganda. All you can do is cause a form of neurosis through suppression. You will suppress certain parts of your nature, but if you suppress certain parts of your nature, they'll only emerge in other parts. You can't keep it down. And again, going back to Professor Carl Quigley's book, now being the head uh, historian of the Council on Foreign Relations, remember, he said in that book, uh, Tragedy and Hope, he said, an astonishing thing is occurring today. He said, um, suddenly the youth are mating with each other, uh, even amongst friends, they're having promiscuity and remaining friends afterwards. Uh, and he said the women are emulating the men uh, in the way they walk, the way that they talk, and in their behavior. Uh, and he doesn't comment too far on that, except to say this is an astonishing thing has occurred. You tie that into, as I say, Charles Galton, Darwin, and other writers who talked about using hormonal inoculations that would affect hormones and so on, and you start to start wondering, uh, were they actually doing this at the time to make this behavior occur? Um, we find Carl Jung, uh, the psychiatrist as well, um, who worked with Freud, uh, talking about the same thing. He said, it's interesting to notice, and this is the late 1950s, he says that the American women are leading this change, he said, by walking like men, uh, They've lost their eros, they're losing their eros, and their pride in, in having eros and being different. So the main thing that made us so different from each other, which is the complementary aspect of each other when you get together, was being lost. And, and the women were adapting and beginning to look and talk and walk like the men. Um, what, what caused that to happen? It wasn't just the fact that we're emulating what they saw in, in the movies. Um, I think there's been big tampering uh, in the hormonal levels, like Charles Galton Darwin um, talked about in his book. 
Absolutely, and as as uh, as tribal creatures, I mean, I think uh, a, a one man's love might be enough to sustain a woman. I know I've had girlfriends. I'm sort of over a few on getting married in terms of getting that close with them. Uh, but when that is absent, um, they would seek to emulate men. I mean, uh, there's a study uh, done in the United States uh, about uh, promiscuity on high school uh, or college campuses where women were basically saying they were getting drunk and sleeping with someone and not expecting to ever see them or hear from them again. And uh, they said it was better to be to, to do that than to yeah. not be noticed at all. So mm-hmm. could this be a way of them sort of trying to get more male attention by emulating male behavior? I think it's that, and it's also the fact that they, they want, to, to be honest with you, they all want to be accepted by their own group. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of pressure, peer pressure, amongst women, as the same as men, uh, to belong and do the same as everyone else seems to be doing. Whether they really are or not, you don't know. <laughs> But uh, you want to be the same. Everyone wants to conform. Uh, people, again, in the society have been encouraged not to be an individual in any way at all. Uh, you're encouraged not to have standards which are innate. Any standards that you have are given to you uh, through moral relativism, which the main, has been the main teaching for the last 30 years. There's no right or wrong in anything. Uh, evil is just, just a human evaluation on a particular type of outcome. This is, so, so morality, innate morality, has been kicked out the window in, in massive indoctrination through scientific technique, and that's the key to it. Um, scientific technique has been used through the, the educational system to, to um, create this kind of mindset in male and female, uh, coupled with the massive Hollywood industry and music industry. Absolutely, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I'm even seeing the big bug-eyed sunglasses as a problem, which I see everywhere, in the sense that it seems like people are basically wearing masks when they walk by each other, and there isn't sort of eye contact communication. I try and make it as much as possible when I'm not wearing sunglasses. And, uh, yeah, how do, you, how do we replace this on a micro level? It seems to me that if we trust each other more than governments and corporations, we're halfway there. Are there any values that we are aware of, that we have been made aware of, that can co- counteract the biggest uh, socialization tools hurting us towards uh, conformity and global government? The tools really are still within us. We know during national disasters, which have been natural in the past, at least the ones that we know of, which are still natural, um, people really do come to the fore and they really help each other because by helping others, you are uh, saving the species in a sense. Uh, You definitely are saving the species. So we all become very human when we have to. We can really go overboard and help anyone that's there and do amazing things in the process. It's only when we're back to this Sovietized socialist system uh, that we emulate the old Soviet era where no one could look at each other in the street in case, you know, they pick up your wrong thinking or whatever it happened to be, or speech crime or whatever, uh, according to Orwell. Uh, That's what they've encouraged to happen here. We become depersonalized. We become introverted. We are taught to be egocentric and behavior always look on the bright side of things for yourself personally and don't you don't care about the guy next to you uh, or the guy who's lying in the ditch down there uh, that's been encouraged in this society along with the whole new age movement that was brought forward from london again and created from london and promoted from london from alistair crowley onwards uh with the drug industry etc um we, we, they, they, they've been promoting this whole thing about uh, don't look at the bad side of life and so if anyone's suffering, just loop somewhere else and be happy. Uh, this has been encouraged across the board to the extent that people are, have lost their ability for survival. If you don't look at the negative things as well, then you are losing your ability for self-preservation. You've got, life is not meant to be one happy high buzz from birth to death. Uh, that's called perpetual immaturity. Uh, experiencing all sides of the emotional spectrum, uh, that's what makes you truly human and mature. Absolutely, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You mentioned egocentonic, and I do see a lot of this egocentonic selfishness, partly uh, from listening to your work. It seems like they want us to sort of be walking through a mall and, and have uh, you know a half a dozen guys in black uniforms, black bag one of us, and haul, haul us off, and the rest not care. Yeah. Uh, how close do you think we are to the point where we don't even care about friends and family? And I only say this so that you can put out a warning to people to sort of start acting right and start looking at your neighbors like they're your friends. Well, I, I, take, uh, I take a lot of advice really from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he talked about uh, the Soviet system. He was in the, the, the Gulag archipelago 
and he mentioned what happened in the Soviet system. He says, uh, when under national security the KGB first came into streets and started dragging off your neighbors, they made it the law that the whole street had to be turned out to witness it. In other words, you were meant to be terrified by watching your neighbors pulled off to the gulag, uh, never to be seen again, uh, under the guise of national security and peace and safety for all. And uh, he said that is the only time we could have stopped it. He said it was at the very beginning. And he said we should have grabbed pickaxe handles and anything or we could get our hands on and clubbed those two or three guys uh, into the ground. He says, but once you allow things to start happening, he said the neighbors will, will rationalize that, well, we knew them for years, but they must have done something wrong. They must have deserved it. That's how we have to rationalize things when we live in terror. And unfortunately, through the use of terror, which is which what the big boys have agreed to use, because in a globalized system, when there's no threats from an external force anymore, you have to find terror within. You have to find the scapegoats within. The Soviet system did the same once they had put up along the Iron Curtain. They had to turn their, their sights and find terrorists within their country so anybody could be a terrorist. And that's what kept them going, fear and terror. It gives a, a, an obedient, compliant population. Uh, no, people are just terrified of saying anything uh, that they even observe themselves to any friend in case it gets back to the authorities. And that's what's been encouraged here. I've looked at all the laws that were put on the books after 9-11. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but Canada put them on the books in 1998. Uh, it was a, an omnibus crime bill put through by Alan Rock, who now works at the United Nations. And even the reporters at the time were saying, what on earth is this? It's martial law. Well, it's exactly, it was actually the prototype for the Americans to, to copy. And we rammed it through in Canada in 1998. These guys knew what was coming. Uh, because they all belonged to the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And uh, uh, when you look at all these laws, if they implement one quarter of them, we're going to be under one uh, a worse tyranny than the Soviet or, or the Nazi era ever was. Unbelievable. And, and Canadians uh, that I, I know uh, think they're smarter than Americans, but I have to make the point that we're only smarter than the Americans that they put on TV. Um, the the ones uh, with a, a knowledge of the sort of constitution and the history of America and and the fact that they were the only free country uh, in history to, to to a large degree um, are in fact smarter than a lot of us. Whereas we we think we're nice, we think we're 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 good people, and I think that we are capable monkeys. But anything else on Canada in terms of our relation to terror? Because this with the Northcom drill coming up and 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 further Northcom drills and you know they're putting cops everywhere, Mr. Watt. I'm trying to say hello to them because I'm gonna like they people are making them paranoid. Yep. So if I say, good morning, officer, how you doing, officer, what's going on, officer, um, I'm hoping to make them less paranoid by saying, look, I just said hi to you, nothing happened, so don't be paranoid. Uh -huh. uh, the problem with the, the police, and they have had this for the last 20 years, um, Lenin said this too, he says, and so did Stalin, um, he said you, you must um, give special training to the police to make them afraid of the public. So first you separate them, just like the military. Remember, the police force is a paramilitary organization. We should never forget that. When you see them marching in uniform, one form, they belong to a separate tribe now, and that's drummed into them, that they're different from you. They're no longer a member of civilian street. They're privately owned. They're called privates. And uh, uh, they've had experts going around those uh, police forces for years now making them paranoid of the public, telling them of what a dangerous world it is out there with all these crazy people and potential uh, terrorists and uh, potential mad bombers and all this kind of stuff. And the police really are on edge. They're, 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 you always give more indoctrination and uh, mind alteration on the guys who are going to control the masses so the police have more indoctrination than others. That's the, the sad truth of it. And the, the only way you can break through is is um is one on one and speak as person to person and ask them are you going to speak to me as a person uh, as opposed to a uniform Right, and, and I think this is really key. I mean, it seems to me that if we, if we can reach them, if we can reach the people with guns, um, then uh, that we can, we can convince them not to use them on us. So any more on what the police should know about being police? I, I just, as a, as a reference, a friend of mine, a friend of a friend has uh, recently joined the police force, and uh, he mentioned that he was surprised by how much marching they did. They just march, yes. march, march all the time, and for a cop, it doesn't make any sense. 
again, they're being militarized. And uh, again, that was the agenda. Uh, back in the, the early 90s, a term slipped out, which was immediately de denied by the authorities, and it was called multi-jurisdictional task forces. And this was an agenda that was initially put together in the 1980s by the top uh, war departments of all countries where they'd amalgamate police and give them special combat training so they could be used alongside soldiers in the soldiers' arena abroad if necessary or back home with the soldiers backing them up. They'd fit in, they'd know the command structure, the combat techniques for urban warfare and all the rest of it. And, and they've been training uh, select groups throughout Canada for the last uh, 10, 10, 12 years on this very thing. Special SWAT teams and office, general officers from Canada are over in Iraq working with the U.S., uh, kicking doors and getting used to this kind of scenario. It was on television here in Canada. Uh, they called it the Multi-Jurisdictional multi Task Force, and they said these guys will shortly go, be going back to their own police units in Canada so they're training them for what's coming along the, down the pike. Now the Department of Defense in Britain, the top think tank, uh, published its findings and its projected future for the next 30 years in the Guardian a newspaper in, in England. I've got it on my website in, on the archive section. Look into it because here's the top NATO think tank. Uh, that includes Canada and the U.S. And all they foresee for the next 30 years is massive rioting starting from the public, um, and flash mobs, they call it, and, and the use of uh, military and police in combined actions against the public. Nowhere does it say why the public would go to that length and start reacting that way anyway. Uh, of course they won't, because they know the agenda is to cut back uh, all goods and services and health services. Eventually work goes out the window too, massive unemployment, as we come down in scale to join the third world in this new wonderful global plantation and uh, they're planning for it and they published their findings there's no happy news in their projected 30 years forecast at all right and and, and mr alan watt from cutting through the matrix.com uh, the study also said that it was uh, predictive as opposed to probable or probable as opposed yep. to predictive but it basically said that they were fully expecting this in the guardian article mm -hmm. uh, which was quite shocking and and to the police and soldiers out there i mean they live here, they work here, um, you know, they, they go to the bars here, their kids go to school here, um, and even if they're, if they're crooked, uh, I don't think they want to be run by Northcom. I mean, you can do your little dirt on the side, but you still want to control your block. So, um, yeah, any, any, I mean, is there a way for the public uh, to reach them? I mean, I'm trying to do my part with what I thought of. You know a lot more about this, but how should we approach them? Are there any angles you suggest to counteract the, uh, the militarization that we're seeing? I think you have to... Across the main thing that they will understand, and that is eventually in society, the world is projected to come to end up uh, in this utopia of the elite or for the elite. The police themselves will no longer be necessary, uh, neither will their children. There'll be no work for their children either to, to, to go into. And so they're all expendable once their job of control, initial control to bring this agenda off, is over. They're also expendable. And uh, we have to tell them that, uh, that they're simply uh, benefiting on, in the short term for their paycheck and their status and all the, all the freebies they get, uh, but at the expense of their own children's lives and everyone else's lives, because the future they're going to bring in down the road is one of, uh, a, a, it's almost a soil and green type scenario with massive overcrowding in the cities, but the only place you're allowed to live for the general population uh, and these high-tech uh, habitat areas for the higher bureaucracies to live in. But for ordinary police and the likes, they'll be in the main cities with the rest of the people. Right, and uh, it seems to me that their agenda is for North American unification by 2010 and global government by 2012. So mm -hmm. we're not even talking about a police officer who 25 years ago could live 25 years until now, mm -hmm. um, retire, and, and maybe have had a good life before things all went to hell. We're talking about the next two to four years. Yeah. Uh, the police could be uh, totally brainwashed, militarized, uh, fitted with exploding chips, according to Officer Jack McClam at Cops and Soldiers Against the New World Order. Um, you know, which explode with poisoning, could kill them if they refuse orders. So uh, if they go along with, with the corruption they see asking them to do things to us, we can already see it at the airports and at, uh, at the borders where they're, they're, our, our bureaucracy is being told to treat us like jerks. 
um, you know, then, then they'll suffer from that. Can you see any other areas of, of Canadian society for Canadian citizens who are sort of blindly going about their business to appeal to in the bureaucracy with any specific tactics? Um, I, again, we also we have to print up a lot of information for them to use and tell them as well that if uh, come 2010 with amalgamation, 2012 with the UN and take over the, the three trading blocks, then, then uh, they're also going to be start to, to be moved with their families across the across the whole planet. They're not to be allowed to stay in one little area for the rest of their lives, where they grow up and know their community and all the rest of it. They don't want the police to become familiar, uh, or even get friends in an area. And with a global society, they're, they're to be moved around from country to country on a, a frequent basis. So they won't have a, a peaceful family life either. Right, absolutely. Well, Mr. Alan Watt, and, and thank you so much for your time. In the final 10 minutes or so here, that'll take us to two hours, and then uh, I'm definitely going to put this online as soon as possible so people can use this information. Um, China is, is said to be the economic model for the new world order. Uh, can you speak to why, and can you speak to how we can counteract that on a macro or micro level so that we're not turned into slaves working in our country, making you know zippers for jeans at a Walmart that's sold thousands of miles away? Well, it's true. Uh, the United Nations stated that uh, China is the model state for the world to, to emulate. Um, by that, remember, uh, we go back to communism in China, how it was given birth, uh, who were the guys who were sent into the universities to start it up. Read Lord Bertrand Russell's books, because he was one of the first guys to be sent there to start this up on behalf of the British government. And you get it from the horse's mouth himself. Uh, so they set up a country with an ideal population that had never known uh, individual freedom. Uh, it was an ideal country for that because of their culture, and uh, they were an obedient culture. They'd never, as I say, they were they'd never known individual freedom or enterprise of any kind. Uh, it was a very fixed, rigid system they'd come out of, and um, uh, so they picked China uh, as being a sort of mass man uh, type effort for mass production. They would, they would obey, work long, long hours without complaint. And I have books in the 1930s, I say 1938, they had the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs meeting, world meeting in Melbourne, Australia. And they mentioned it in there uh, that they'd set up China after World War II down the road towards the end of the millennium to be the manufacturer for the planet. They have done that, but they also have used tremendous psychology on a mass scale with the public to do with abortion and the one-child-per-family uh, one idea. Uh, that was tremendously interesting because uh, they used Pavlovian techniques, and this is admitted uh, by the elite of China. Uh, the, initially, they used to have to use the militia to drag off a woman who was found to be pregnant with a second child. Now, through social approval, the creation of social approval and social disapproval in the culture, uh, the neighbors themselves will drag the woman off to the abortion clinic, and that's happening without the militia being called in. And I, I thought about the social approval and social disapproval technique, and I noticed they'd already used it in Canada with smoking versus anti-smoking. Uh, and and in, indoctrinated children, that if they saw a person light up across the street, they'd start coughing. Uh, that's a Pavlovian response to something, and I'd noticed this before, and I realized they were using the same techniques here of social approval and disapproval, and yet that technique could be used on anything in society. And then I looked at the United Nations that had made the war on smoking. The war on drugs came from the United Nations. The war on smoking came from the United Nations. The United Nations just declared last year the war on obesity. And under the war on obesity, they want a socialized system where everyone, by law, must be pulled into clinics to be weighed every month. I'm not kidding you. Uh, and, and so you realize that this is the same United Nations that backs China as the model state for the world and actually taught them these Pavlovian techniques of creating a social approval and disapproval well, they can, they can make black sheep of every obese person if they want to by the same technique. We'll see people showing disgust at people who are overweight. That can be created very easily. And um, I think we should be very, very wary of what's really going on and learn the amounts of, of psychological techniques that are being promoted and marketed 
uh, to the general public through special programs and through propaganda and, and stop falling for it. We're, we're, it's no different than telling people we've got to hate the Muslims because they're different and they hate us. That's basic, simple propaganda. But it's the same thing with uh, targeting different groups of people to attack. Uh, the majority of the mass man who can't think for himself uh, will automatically adopt the hate that is promoted to him by their governments using specialized marketing into their minds. Right, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I've already heard doctors, a uh, secondhand story of a doctor saying uh, about uh, vaccines and whatnot that they have to make sure we are not a drain on the system's resources in the future by using vaccines as a preventive uh, measure now. So um, it's, it's not that hard to get people to look at other people as the enemy in, in this system. Yes, and, and they tried that too with the CBC and government ads using our tax money when it came to be the flu season. And the ad said, do you know if you don't take your vaccine, you could be a danger to others? And I thought, boy, they could really push this if they wanted to. It's going along the same, tech, the same direction by using threats, you see, and, and the threats directed to, uh, to those who won't take the vaccine, and the threat will come to, from those who have taken the vaccine and you haven't. So they use mob psychology against the people. Unbelievable. Well, Mr. Watt, uh, you know, a, a word to the wise, to the secret government. I mean, these people uh, are, are going through with plans that are going to catch up with them a lot sooner than they think. I think they enjoy being uh, sort of gods in this world and, and having the power over us, $2,000 hookers, special bank accounts, and that sort of thing. But that's all going to hell. That's all going to rot. Um, in, uh, shortly if, if the people above them have their way and their say. So for the people that are soldiers of sort of dead inbred trash carrying out ancient plans that uh, they really should have updated and changed by now, um, what would you have to say to, to them and, 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 and appeal with you know, your sort of experience in understanding sort of the big picture? Well, to the soldiers, I got enough of them phoning me from the States who have come back as nervous wrecks. Uh, some of the guys went to Fallujah and were told that there's a killing field, kill everything that moves, where it's a dog, cat, or a human, or a child, and they did, and they were told to go to village to village and show examples by slaughtering everybody, which they did, and now some of these young guys are coming home, their conditioning is breaking down, and the real person is breaking through, and now their psychological nature is breaking down, um, they're in quite the mess, because they've been trained to do things which are anti-human, and would be outright murder, mass murder, premeditated murder, in civilian life. Uh, so regardless of what you think at the time, once they take your little anti-malarial drugs off you, which are hallucinogenic, by the way, they've even the documentation here in the CBC and about them. Uh, we know that Somalian soldiers, the guys in Somalia, were hallucinating on these drugs. One of the officers pulled a pistol on the child's head every day just for the fun of it and can't believe himself that he did it now. Uh, so once these drugs wear off and you're back in Sibby Street again, your health's going to break down, both your physical and your psychological health, because you have to start li- trying to live with you. Right, we learned this. I mean, there's been tons of movies about Vietnam with respect to flashbacks and the horrors that haunt people. I mean, 25% of America's homeless are Vietnam veterans. So uh, for all the sort of military, uh, the military sales pitch that sells us the nobility of the military and the honor of the military, they treat their own like crap on almost every level. Mm-hmm, yep. And uh, this is happening again. And I've also had troops come back who, who are starting to bleed. They're coughing up blood and stuff. They don't know what they've inhaled. If it's due to the inoculations. So they're, they're, quite a few of them are in a bad way already. But that makes perfect sense because after the Vietnam era, the Pentagon had big meetings about the misgivings of having a professionally trained uh, soldiery amongst its population in times of change back home. Uh, they could be a threat, so the best way to do it is to get two or three good years out of them in the military, make sure you inject something into them that will bring down their health once they leave the military, and then they're no threat to anyone back home. So this is all by design. I mean, I have a theory that uh, that uh, they want to destroy our uh, domestic uh, cops and soldiers to some degree so they could bring in UN peacekeepers and troops uh, as an option in the future. Do you see that as a possibility for people who will shoot yeah. us because yeah. they don't live here? Yeah, uh, despite it was... It was David Rockefeller made a speech in California uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, about that very topic. as with the United Nations coming in to the United States, uh, different forces from other countries. And uh, he said at the time that uh, under the right circumstances, 
the Americans would welcome them in, especially bringing in food and medical aid and so on. But look at the British Empire. It always employed other countries which had taken over. It would, it would employ certain young guys to become soldiery for Britain. We did that in India with the Sepoy regiments and turned them on other people with India from the south. So you always use people from a different area that has nothing, in a, no affiliation with the present culture they're put into to, to, uh, to suppress the people down below them. We saw it with the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre. They brought in the, the troops, um, uh, the, the Mongolian troops from the north, uh, and uh, they brought them down. They had no affiliation with the average Chinese. So you always use foreign troops to beat people up, uh, and they have no, no physical, cultural bonding with you. Right, and yet we saw in New Orleans how uh, American troops would disarm and uh, shoot fellow Americans, especially if they were uh, black uh, in, in the fairly racist U.S. So, um, you know, the, the, the socialization of our, our soldiers and cops and military and bureaucracy against us is, uh, is, is, is pretty deep. Um, do you see any, any levels, any schisms kind of as a, as a final um, word to this or any other final thoughts you have? I'm just trying to look for the people that we can reach and the people that we can't and, and separate them and try, and try and force a schism between them. I understand Maurice Strong and, uh, and certain others at the very top of the food chain are probably going to be guaranteed jobs at the UN, probably going to be guaranteed to be one of the 500 million left on earth after the 6 billion are killed but there's a ton of others who uh, as big as their egos get for for being part of this big uh, successful evil system uh, are going to be culled, so um, where do you see the schisms that we should work on? Uh, I think we've got to go into um, looking at the bureaucracies behind it, there's so many layers of bureaucrats uh, dealing with the system. In fact, Lenin said this because he knew the agenda. Uh, Lenin himself said that dictatorship will last about 70 years, then we'll meld into the West. Gorbachev, in his final speech at the Politburo, uh, and as well reported by Eric Margolis in the Toronto Sun, people should look it up and get that speech that was made by, by Gorbachev. He said, you'll hear shortly that communism is dead, but now we're moving into the amalgamation with the West. We're moving out to make a socialized world. Well, Lenin mentioned it much earlier and said, too, a time will come towards the end of the millennium into the next millennium where there'll be so many governmental agencies, uh, they'll be treading on each other's toes. They'll be stepping over into others' jurisdictions and, and they'll start having a lot of confusion amongst themselves and fights and territorial fights. We've got to get through to those guys that their jobs, uh, once that happens, which it already is, uh, that means their jobs are going to be limited. They themselves won't be necessary for very much longer. The United Nations is ready to, ready to come in with a completely different bureaucratic system, and the local bureaucracies will go under. They're going to be obsolete very shortly. But I tell them this so they know. Unbelievable. On the game of musical chairs, they're taking most of the chairs away. It's, it's ridiculous. So uh, these guys are not guaranteed a spot just because they serve the system, and I, I guess it's important to know that. Um, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, i just like to thank you so much for all of your work and your continued efforts and your time today. And uh, I hope we can do this again, and I hope, uh, hope we can all spread the word out. It would be a pleasure to be speaking to you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mr. Watt. Okay. Stand up and walk out on me Lend me your ears And I'll sing you a song I will try not to sing out of key yeah. Oh baby, how you found All I need is my body I'll say I'm gonna get high
Take them all along. 